Welcome to Series 3 of The Joy of Writing. I'm your host, Mark Carew, author of three novels, and someone who is interested in how other writers write, why they do it, and the fun or joy they get from their writing. You can leave feedback on any of the episodes at podchaser.com forward slash thejoyofwriting. My guest in this episode is Tom Benjamin, author of A Quiet Death in Italy, his debut crime novel, and the first of a series of three books. A Quiet Death in Italy was published by Constable, part of the Little Brown Group, last year in ebook, and this May 2020 in paperback. So Tom, your book A Quiet Death in Italy begins with a visit to the morgue for your protagonist, the English private investigator Daniel Lester. Uh, the, the body in question is sent there because Daniel's working for his father-in-law, the Commandante Giovanni. They've been hired to investigate this 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 problem. And, and one of the flags you put in it is that the, the body is in a black bag yeah. rather than a white bag, which everybody knows that a white bag is it's an accidental death. The black bag suggests something else. Um, did that come from... <laughs> you know, is that the actual procedure... Or was that just something you wanted to sort of play with? That was research. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was definitely research. Um, you know, I was looking into how uh, morgues, you know, some morgues, I'm sure not all morgues, but some morgues um, treat, um, you know, victims of, uh, of suspicious death. Um, the inspiration for uh, that scene uh, did actually come from real life when I was... Um, with the uh, Met Police working as a spokesperson and um, went down to the Thames River Police and right. uh, and they just dragged a body out of the out of the out of the Thames and there it was lying there and uh, these were the days I mean you know we're talking about the probably the early 90s now where let's just say things were a little bit more flexible and so, you know, police officers had no problem, you know, showing the, the young uh, press officer, oh, look what we've got here. And uh, if you have the, the courage to take a look. And, yeah. uh, and we had a long conversation um, about victims um, of drowning and all the people they were like, you know, pulling out of the river and so on. And which is from where I derived uh, certainly the detail. Yeah. Uh, and, and probably the inspiration for, for the discovery of Paolo's uh, body down in the canals. Yeah, I mean, one of the details is that river water is very corrosive. Yeah. And uh, so I noted that, if ever needed. Um, yeah, yeah, it's one of the best ways, according to uh, the cop that, that was talking, you know, to, because, because really it's like uh, some sort of acid and it does kind of corrode away wash away a lot of um, evidence yeah how would you describe paolo an anarchist or an old communist or you know i'd, I'd say a veteran political activist as it becomes clear in you know from his uh, journals he was a you know a young student um in the nine well, the late 70s early 80s and you know became involved uh with you know the far left yes. uh, at a university that sort of tumbled into becoming involved in the Red Brigades, which yeah. were um, the far-left terrorists, Italian terrorists of their time, uh, the, you know, the, the Italian equal to the Bader-Meinhof uh, gang, yeah. uh, and with a similar political ideology, and most notorious, of course, for uh, the murder of the Italian Prime Minister uh, mm -hmm. at that time. And 
as the the scene plays out and and subsequently there's just this assumption in the in the plot that well you know you know how he ended up there the the police have dealt with him yeah i mean you know uh because there is and something that comes out um and i think that it's part of daniel's character you know development arc you know he he comes to realize that there is this you know tremendous sort of tension in italian society um you know between the state you know various groups on the left yes um probably on the right for that matter you know there would be an assumption looking at the history that you know the, the police would have probably been involved in in his death the, the famous play an accidental death of an anarchist which i obviously refer to in 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 the novel was all about precisely that subject yeah no i mean the tensions came through and really they they they're a big plot driver i found so for example you you have what we would call the anarchists or or those squatting out uh in in parts of the city the police are trying to clear them out and they have slogans like uh, give us bread not ice cream <laughs> which refers to the um the mayor carlo yeah. who the husband of marta and uh, marta was having an affair with paolo but the mayor is behind the regeneration of the city into boutique bologna Yeah, I mean, you know, this is uh, this is this was something I kind of came across when when we arrived really over a dozen years ago. Um and it was the transformation of the city from um how it had been to how it was going to become. Yes. Um and there was this tremendous tension between, you know, the anarchist movement which was occupying many of the old um empty buildings, particularly things like old hospitals, mm-hmm. army barracks, um and so on in Bologna um and the commune or the council which wanted to sort of uh reenergize the center and had sort of discovered tourism arguably um you know to the detriment of of many of the bolognese in not just the um not just the activists but also the ordinary people i mean you know uh, when we arrived we were able to basically wander into any uh historic building yeah uh even art gallery um for nothing it was seen as sort of communal sort of treasure and you know about 6 or 7 years ago they started charging everywhere um and you had to sort of pay pay an entrance fee it's a small thing um yeah. i think it's kind of and, and also you know you found a, you found you know there's been this explosion of they've been promoting um Bologna city of food this explosion of eateries expensive eateries prices have gone up everywhere and so on so it's a process that the city's been going through um and particularly with particularly with the increase in Airbnb and so on and that was the beginning of the fight against that and so it's so so a quiet death in Italy could almost be said to also uh, represent uh the death of a kind of bologna a death of a kind of italy the kind of famous communist communal bologna being replaced by um a more modern gentrified touristificated uh city and a lot of bolognese were unhappy about it yeah you know these kind of you know the tour groups kind of crowding you know behind a pennant crowding the porticos and so on and and i think that actually one could say that you know this was perhaps the beginning and the second book I've written the hunting season which is all about bologna city of food and that business um is perhaps consistent with that telling that story we've moved on a bit 
from 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 the first part. So you're you're really detailing the uh, you know the tension here in the, in the city between you know, the development or those who want to keep it the same. Yeah, absolutely. And you know this kind of tension kind of throws up uh, old phantoms. Kind of you know throws up both kind of you know ghosts from the, from the past in more ways than one. Um, because they're both being used by kind of actors um, in the commune or the council, and also um, represent are, are also representative in some of the older a- anarchists. Yes. Who like Mario and like Paolo, who have been fighting it. Yeah. And so it's kind of like an old battle is being kind of fought out between these two two opposing forces. That's one of the things I liked about it, was how you, you humanised it, and you went back in the history to the 70s when, when your characters were younger, yeah. uh, quite young students, really. You know, you've really used the idea that um, crime fiction can be social fiction in, in, the, in this uh, sort of investigation of a, of a modern city. Career-wise, I've always been interested in social issues, you know, with a background in, uh, well, you know, policing and international development. Um, and, you know, that's just what I'm interested in. Um, and that's what I'm interested in exploring. I think that, you know, when I came here, I wanted to write a book about the Italy that I was seeing, which was like an Italy that wasn't what most people expect from Italy. Yeah. And I- that was just really fascinating. What what were the the characters that the most fun to write? Was it your detective? Was it other characters? Um, well, my detective was fun to write in so much as um, you know, he is the narrator, so mm. he has all the best lines. Yeah. Uh, although Franco uh, was fun, who's one of the uh, old elderly communists. Uh, I think he has some of the best the best lines, uh, or rather, he feeds Daniel some of the best lines, um, and also Dolores. Uh, yeah, was was fun too. And I think that both of them also were really really quite typical uh, Bolognese sorts of characters. You know, you have Dolores, the young anarchist, and you have Franco, the old communist, mm. um, and. Uh, and also, I like Dolores because she she's sort of she's a quite a good foil to Daniel, um, and she's both a, she's an insider and an outsider. His they're both insider outsiders, but in different ways. If you see yes. them, she's properly Italian. She's part of the anarchist movement, um, but she's also a rebel. Yes, you know. Well, so, what do you call it? A, a punker. The a punk bestia, a punk bestia. Punk bestia, yeah. And there's a lovely scene when she's introduced with um, a cow. Yes. yes. Um, which I know is not the original you, you had in mind for it, but it works so well because one of the slogans is uh, farming is the future. Yes. Uh, whereas uh, the mayor was thinking, well, no, another gelateria, or however you say it, is the future. Yeah. And an expensive hotel in the, in the middle of the city. Um, so that was a lot of fun to see to see that coming out. Um, and Paolo and Marta and and Carlo, these are central characters. Yeah, because because you spend you spend time in their company. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's a, a, a an important point. Both the reader and the writer spends time in the company of these people. Mm. And I think that both for the writer and the reader, they have to become real people. 
Agreed. Um, and so even if they're not particularly nice, they have to be interesting. Um, and, and I think that's that's key for every every writer. I think um, you know if they're boring, that's boring. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, you, you want your baddies to be interesting as well as your goodies. Yeah. And it's harder to make the goodies interesting than the baddies, obviously. Well, sometimes the baddies get a lot of the good lines, the great action, and the more exciting things to do. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, certainly you've got character-driven fiction here which is which is great because it goes back so deeply to what people actually believe in mm. you know mm. the, and their vision for the city yeah yeah um, and for how life should be for other people that was that was very interesting indeed I, I was going to just ask um there is a murder mm. obviously uh, of, of Paolo and did you intend for the reader to, to work out who the murderer might be? No, not really. So uh, quite definitely was my second go at this. I'd yeah. written a book previously which hadn't found um, an agent let alone a publisher and so I went through a whole process of sending you know, of, of seeking help basically. I went to a literary consultancy mm-hmm. and um, you know, decided well look you know, I am trying to sell this as crime fiction. I really ought to learn the rules. Um, and so even though I want to discuss all of this stuff, I also need to uh, produce and present a book that works as crime fiction. Yeah. You know, and so as a result of that, um, so, you know, the first book, the first, you know, the first attempt, and probably all of my previous attempts at writing fiction had been very much as a pantser, whereas this one was kind of like a pantser with a plot in mind, um, in so much as I was going to write it, but I, at the same time, was aware that there was a structure, there was, there was, there is a way that you, you sort of structure crime fiction, mm-hmm. so you satisfy the crime reader, um, yeah. I think is right. Um, because you know every story, every story like every song, like every popular song, and so on, does have structure. And you know, I'm sure even Shakespeare, um, you know, worked to lots of structure yeah, yeah, in, yeah. in his plays. And so, it's not enough to think, well, I'm just fab, and I'm just going to write all these wonderful sentences, and people will love it. You know, you have to be a bit humble and follow structure. So. Although I set out not knowing who the murderer what was going to be, about midway through, I sort of got a feeling about who the murderer would be. And I did know that when I came to the end of the book, that I would probably go back and rejig it, yeah. you know, structure it, rewrite it, so that it would be written in a structural way. So, so there were the kind, you know, so there is this kind of traditional progression for the crime reader. Um, so they can, so they can, they can basically try to unravel the mystery themselves. Uh, to be honest with you, I was, and you do, you do seed clues in the narrative. If you read it a second time, um, knowing who the murderer is at the end, you should yes. be able to see the clues, clues as you go right. through. So it shouldn't be completely impossible to yes. work out who the murderer is. I mean, clues and, and motive actually is very um, important. I mean, on the face of it, I mean, you know, it's, it's the mayor's wife having an affair with the dead person. You think, well, the mayor's, you know, sorted this out. 
So, yes, and what about red herrings? Is that fun to, to, to do in the plot? Raymond Chandler wrote the kind of, you know, the classic rules for writing crime fiction. Um, and, you know, one of them, I think, which is quite important, is to, uh, you should always have a very human motive. Right. Commit a murder. Yeah. You know, um, to make it convincing. And, and I think that that is quite important. Uh, because they're the things that really drive us. In the same way as you were talking earlier about the way that the characters were driven by meaning and by by what they believed in. Yeah. That people are driven by meaning. Um, even if the meaning in their life, or they interpret the meaning of, in their life as making money or whatever, people are driven by existential motives, fundamentally. Yeah. And uh, so it is important for for there to be a sort of a human reason to commit a murder. Yeah, um, exactly. So, so coming back to so your other point about red herrings, yes, um, I think that, um, and I'm also thinking at the moment that that you know a lot, you know, as I'm writing book three um, about um, you know red herrings and. And how one sort of you know structures structures the plot and the story um, and so on and so forth. Um, yeah, I think that uh, you know it's fun. It's fun writing red herrings, but I think at the same time they need to be believable. You mm. know, to sort of flow at the same time. Sort of they need to sort of tell a story in themselves. Yeah, if they're kind of like just red herrings. It's a bit Agatha Christie. Yes, <laughs> which I don't think is is what people are looking for these days, um, and so they need to sort of tell a story in themselves, and they need to be co- consistent with the meaning of the story. Mm-hmm. So when people kind of you know walk away uh, from the story, you know they think, oh well, there may be someone that they thought was the murderer, um, but they, they might also think, well, that person had good reasons to. A good reason to be the murderer, and I learned an in, and I learned an interesting thing while I followed that thread. Yeah, and yeah, I think no, I've got that. Yeah, motives very interesting. There, there are sort of several varieties of motives, aren't there? Some really, really obvious, and some more sort of deeper, mm. deep lying. Mm. Um, without wishing to give uh, anything away, the the motive for Daniel, the English investigator. Um, just looking at the back of the book in the blurb, uh, Daniel must unravel a web of secrets, deceit and corruption before he is caught in it in himself. Now this is interesting because he is knee deep in the story, obviously. Um, and what what is driving him? It's not simple. Is it simply justice or simply a job or... Well, I think it's. His, I mean, you know, he's he is the tarnished knight, and as he, you know, as he mentions to Dolores um, at some stage, you know, he's no innocent himself. Mm. Uh, he was a beneficiary of restorative justice, um, and so to some extent, he doesn't he doesn't pretend to be an angel. Um, he has his own sort of demons. Mm-hmm. Um, he's motivated to stay in. Uh, and again, he's motivated to stay in Italy uh, because really there's no future for him in the UK, and he has this family in Italy, which is yeah. which is really important to him. Um, and I think that um, his investigation into the death of Paolo Solitudine, you know, in a sense, I think he uh, associates with him um, a bit 
because you know particularly the Paolo who, who he discovers through the journals you know there's this you know innocent guy who wanted to sort of you know change the world right and um, and you know even you know when he gets to a point which sort of seems a bit like a dead end you know you can see that he he's really got a relationship with this guy through the journals mm. um, and you know he goes to the sort of you know the country house that that Paolo shared with um, Marta. Yeah, that's a good scene. Yeah, he, you know, he, you, you can see he, he simply, uh, that by that point, he simply, you know, he's, he's motivated by by this relationship that he has with Paolo. Um, yeah, and, and he's more sympathetic with the cause that Paolo is fighting for, isn't he? Really? Yeah, because he has this background as someone who wanted to right wrongs. Yeah, um, you know, as a as a as an investigative journalist, and I think that he sympathises with that as well. Yeah. But I think that he also kind of understands the complexity of of causes, and you know, things aren't black and white. And I think that comes out quite strongly in the narrative. Completely, it's not a black and white novel at all. It's it's a real, a really nice, in depth, fascinating look um, at the life and history of a city. Bologna now will not be the same on the map for me it'll be like ah okay i know about this now the, the anarchists the the pd party and and what went on uh, much more interesting than trying to figure out you know was it miss marple in the library with the uh, with the revolver although there is a place for that I, there I, totally I... is a place for that usually on a you know quiet winter's day with a roaring fire and a and a glass of wine but there's so much more to to crime fiction i can see that so um Thank you. I enjoyed the book a great deal and enjoyed talking to you as well. Thanks for having me and and it really has been a pleasure to uh, participate in this. So thanks very much. In the next episode, I will be talking to Tom about how he marked the publication of his book during lockdown and how he is writing further books in the Daniel Lester series.